What well, is good to have you here. Um, how many of you, first time you walk into this place and you scouted out where you wanted to sit? Anybody? Raise your hand. It's okay. Um, there are other words to describe you. Um, how many of you automatically, even in the previous building, maybe you've been coming uh, or you come from a different place, maybe you've never been to church, but you go into any avenue, any setting, you go, okay, this is where I'm going to sit. It makes you feel comfortable. I know that when I go into a restaurant, what, what do you not want for my back to be to the door? I don't like it. It makes me nervous. It makes me, I just, I don't like it. And so I want to face the door. There's different people, different places. We come in here and we know where we want to sit. And many of you will probably sit, if you come back next week, you're going to be sitting in the same place that you are this week. Maybe not, but maybe you may shop around a little bit and you'll sit up there. Maybe you sit in the front or the back of the lower section, whatever it is. Guys, very simply stated, that was the struggle that people had with Jesus. Jesus came in, and especially the religious leaders of the time, they were accustomed to sitting in the same place, figuratively speaking. And Jesus shifted all of that. He changed it up. He changed it up, everything about him. And it is Palm Sunday, as we were able to mention previously. And what that means for us is that Jesus is entering Jerusalem for the very last time. Holy Week is crucial. We need to understand, we need to process all that's been unfolding, what's been taking place. For several years now, he's been ministering, right? It began in Matthew uh, chapter 5, really, the Messianic ministry, where he begins with the Sermon on the Mount off the Sea of Galilee, and he starts preaching, and he starts teaching everybody, and now it's coming to an end, a culmination of him coming into Jerusalem for the very last time. Just prior to coming to Jerusalem for this very last time, called Passover, we'll get into that in just a second, but prior to that, here he is, and he's coming in to Jerusalem, and he's coming up all the way from Jericho, he's coming, and he's making this trip. He's been, Jericho is near the Dead Sea. You'll be able to see some of these maps, kind of help you understand some of the locations and where all of this is. We know that the Dead Sea is roughly a quarter of a mile almost, almost a quarter of a mile, 1,200 feet roughly, lower than where Jerusalem is. We also know there's about a 17-mile journey, so that, that would be from where we are right now to the center of Holland. And he's just made that trip, and he's made this journey. Now he's coming up on Jerusalem. And all kinds of things are about to unfold. In fact, you can see another map, and you're going to be able to understand some of this story that I'm able to tell you about in Luke chapter 19. He goes through Bethany, he comes at the Beth page, and that is where he's sending his disciples ahead to go get a donkey, a colt that's never been ridden before. He tells them, hey, listen, it's never been ridden before, go, go get it for me. Because he's going to get it, and he's going to ride in on it, roughly the same place that King Solomon rode in. For his coronation, the third king of Israel, hundreds and hundreds of years prior. And he's making that journey. He's making that trip of moving forward for Passover, going into Jerusalem for the very last time. And the crowd is large. The crowd is incredibly large. We already know that Jerusalem would have swollen at least four times its normal population during this season. 
All of these people coming in, and they're going to be making sacrifices, and they're going to be repenting and atoning for sin and all the different things in their lives. And you look at the Jewish custom, and everything else is taking place. And we know that it's really Passover, uh, especially Palm Sunday, is Selection Sunday, where they're really saying, hey, you know what we need to do? We've got to choose the lamb to sacrifice. That's all we know of him as being the lamb of God, because God is saying, no more of this. I will give one sacrifice, one atoning sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God, and it will be my son. And so here he comes riding in on a colt. And on the way, you learn very quickly in Luke chapter 19 that the crowd is getting really big. And the, the crowd's getting larger and larger for many reasons. One, for years now, he's been doing different miracles and he's been preaching. Even just prior to this, he has been healing this guy and really helping blind men. He's been healing individuals. You've got this guy by the name of Zacchaeus, in which he brought salvation to his home. It was only a few weeks prior to this that he raised Lazarus from the dead. And so, of course, when you're doing those types of things, the crowd keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And here he comes in, and he's coming up, and he's riding on this colt into Jerusalem, this donkey, for the very last time. One of the reasons I think that the crowd kept getting larger and larger is Jesus, one of the things you learn through the healings, through the miracles, especially with Lazarus and raising him from the dead, Jesus was all about life. Even in his death, which is coming on Friday, and it has to come because that is the day for the sacrifice. And he ends up being the perfect sacrifice. But Jesus was all about life. When, it, when someone's all about life, it's contagious. People want to come and be a part of that. And so here's this crowd, and they're following him. From the very beginning of this ministry, though, here he is all about life. And even then, as soon as he began his ministry, even prior to the beginning of the Messianic ministry with the Sermon on the Mount, the religious leaders, they wanted to get him. They knew where they wanted to sit, and he was disturbing where they sat. And some of you really have struggled with where Jesus is going to be in your own life because he's asking you to sit in a different seat, and you don't want to move. Like you've got, any of you have that leather chair at home and it fits you perfectly? And if someone tries to get rid of it, they will know the wrath of whoever you are. I remember my, my wife has asked me before, hey, we got this leather chair before we got married. Do you think we should keep it? And I said, stop. Do you know Jesus? Like, don't mess with that chair. And we didn't, the religious leaders, they didn't like it. They didn't like it because Jesus is saying, hey, maybe you need to change seats. They didn't have a proper understanding of who he really was. And so there were plots to execute him and get rid of him early because here he is. He is the king. And he's not just any king. He is the one that is sent and appointed by God. These are the religious leaders. They understood, even Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds of years before the, the, the passage that we often read at Christmas time, Isaiah chapter 9, 6 through 7, they understand the truth of what's unfolding and they can't quite wrap their mind around it. But it says, For to us a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 
of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the the Lord of hosts will do this. And so here he comes, riding in on a donkey. And the religious leaders, they're part of this big crowd that's gathered around him. And they're wanting to see what's about to unfold. And immediately as he's coming up and he sees the city. The multitude, the crowds of people began to think to themselves, maybe this is reality. Maybe this is truth. Maybe he really is the one who's going to deliver us from Rome. And so there's a multitude of people, disciples, it says, and they began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice. The the, the fervor, you can imagine the energy just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so he approaches this, and they're calling out, blessed is he, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, the thing is, if you come in the name of the Lord, you come with authority. And they didn't fully grasp the authority that Jesus was coming with. They were here and they were calling him out and they were honoring him and they were worshiping him. They were praising him, but they didn't understand the fullness of the authority in which he was coming with. He was Messiah, the son of David. He was the fulfillment of God's promises. And they thought that he was going to come and give life, yes, but it would be a life that was free from Rome. And what they did not understand is the life that he really had intended. And some of us struggle to understand the full life that Jesus has really promised. But it tells us in John 10.10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it to the full. Another translation would say to have it abundantly, to have it to the full. And they weren't fully understanding who he was coming as. That was their struggle. And maybe for some of us, that's our struggle. We don't understand the fullness of who Jesus Christ really is, this full life. And maybe we don't fully understand who Jesus is because we see Jesus more as a fixer, more as a consultant, than we do as a savior and as a king. We see him more as a fixer, as a consultant, than we do as savior and king. Right? We want him to come and we want to, him to fix different things. Like, uh, maybe you've done that also, right? We, you see Jesus as a fixer. Here's the struggle with seeing Jesus as a fixer and as a consultant only. It doesn't mean he doesn't want to fix things, that he's not someone that you should go to for wisdom and for discernment and for insight. We should do that, but he's more than that. Here's the problem. As we've been through this construction process, um, there's been a couple of us, so certainly we have been entrenched in all of it, and uh, our general contractor here, every single time over the last uh, several months, he would see me coming into this area, and I would see him turn around and start running the other way and saying, not now, 
because all I can help is I see everything. I see every detail. I can't help it. It's just part of it. That's why I tell you over the next month or month and a half, every week is going to be different around here, whether it be frosted doors or whatever it is. Like We're just going to keep going and going and going because I see all of it, and I just want him to fix it. And if he doesn't fix it, then I'm like, why didn't he fix that? Ironically, I think sometimes we treat Jesus that way. Doesn't, doesn't God know what I want? Like, I asked for this. He didn't fix it the way I wanted him to fix it. And so then what do we do? We get upset with God. Like, wait a second. I requested this. I said, put some caulk on the door. And he didn't do it. We're going, why not? And so we, we are really the same as the crowd, possibly, that is gathered around and they're calling out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But we don't fully comprehend who he's really coming as, the full life that he's really ushering in. He's changing everything. And in order for you to really know the fullness of Jesus, you may need to change seats so that you can see him better. Here's Jesus and his response. He has this response to the, the misunderstanding, the, the brokenness, the hostility that is toward him. Because as soon as you're calling out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, what you find in Luke 19, verse 39, and he's, he's walking through this and he says, some of the Pharisees, though, in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They didn't want them calling out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so there's this misunderstanding and even hostility toward him. Of course, Jesus follows this up with, listen, you can tell them to be quiet. I can tell them to be quiet. But if they're quiet, the stones will cry out. Guys, you need to understand that the design of the universe, the design of the universe, the design of the universe is that Christ be praised. He will be praised whether you choose to do it or not. Amen. He will be praised. He's going to get his praise. And Jesus is walking in, and you're going to discover his struggle is that they're not fully understanding. They're not fully comprehending who he was coming as. And some of us, they were blind, and some of us may be blind to the fullness that Jesus really represents. Are you blind to the fullness of Jesus? And you're going, no, I'm not blind to the fullness of Jesus. I'm, I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Christ. But maybe, maybe you don't have um, complete blinders on, but you have partial blinders on, and you're limited in your view. You're limited in your sight, and God is wanting you to go, you know what? You're holding on to all these other things. Don't you know that if you remove them, the life I have is so much greater? Are you blind to the fullness of Jesus? You have blinders on that's limiting you, that's holding you back from really understanding what he has in store for you. Because here's God, and he's visiting the world through his son physically, his son Jesus Christ. And we already know in John, 80, uh, John chapter 1, verse 11, God knew what was unfolding. God knew what was taking place. Jesus did as well. It says that he came to his own, and his own, his own received him not. He knew that he would be rejected. He knew that the people would not fully recognize who he was. And even though he knew that it was coming, he still responded to this. In Luke chapter 19, 41 through 42, it says the following. It says, when he drew near and he saw the city... 
right? People are already the calling out. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's got others coming up to him saying, hey, you better rebuke your disciples. And then he finally comes up and he sees the fullness of the city and it says that he wept over it. And you think about what he even did previous, just a few weeks prior to this. That was the healing of Lazarus, bringing forth him out of the grave into life once again. And it says that he stopped with the sisters and then he wept with them. This word weep here, it literally means that he sobbed. Right, you know when you sometimes I can get tears. I don't know why every I've been here for nearly five years. Every time I walk into our office, I have tears that come down, and it's just from some there's something in the air that triggers it. And every morning they kid me, oh, why are you crying today, Pastor? I'm like, oh, you're very funny. But this was not that. This was sobbing. This is, you imagine, when you have wept the hardest, when you have truly sobbed, and Jesus is coming over, and, the, and, and these people are calling out, blessed is he, but I don't even think it's something for him to receive because he knew that they didn't fully get it. You know this also because upon his death, there's only 120 followers. Here's this mass of people. There are only 120 followers of Jesus upon his death. He knew that they didn't fully grasp it. And so he wept over their blindness, their misunderstanding. Even, I think he was sobbing over their refusal to process a greater life that wasn't just for self. And some of you can't get beyond that, but you need to know this. You cannot know a full life without knowing the fullness of Jesus. You cannot know a full life without knowing the fullness of Jesus. And so here he is weeping, sobbing over their shallowness. And he's crying because he knew what he had to endure, yes, but really I think he was crying for the people. He cried so that we might have life. He knew what was to come, he knew that he would be rejected and crucified. But guys, within a generation, think about this. Here's Jerusalem, just full of thousands upon thousands of people. And within a generation, the city was obliterated. Process that. Because they didn't understand or receive or accept the fullness that Jesus was ushering in. It was obliterated within a month or within a generation. This is how he states it in Luke chapter 19. This is how he knows what's coming. Verse 43 and 44, he says the following. He says, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. He knew that the people would reject him. 
that they would not fully grasp him. And that's my concern today is sometimes we're limited in our view of Jesus. And we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to see Jesus for his fullness because we reject him? Why do we reject Jesus? And one of the primary reasons that we reject Jesus is because our desires overshadow our ability to see Jesus for who he really is. We still think what we want matters most. And that's a struggle, and I, un- I understand the struggle of that. That's why I say, though, that we see him as a fixture and a consultant. Hey, this is what I want. Rather than surrendering to his fullness and saying, what does God want? What is he wanting to usher in into my life? It's why we're willing to go so far, but not any further. We stop short. People did not recognize who he was. And yet here's God, and he's saying, here's my lamb. You're having this lamb selection. Here's my lamb. Will you choose him? It's a big question. Because it's something that you can't do partially. Are you choosing an empty life or are you choosing a full life? Because without Jesus, and you need to know, without Jesus, there is an empty life. I want to share some passages of Scripture with you. And these are great passages. If you're new here, I always call out a lot of different passages, typically in a message, because um, I know it can be hard to read through the, the Word of God throughout the week, but we desire that for you. So if we can start with you just writing stuff down and reading these passages in the middle of the week. And we believe that's a great start. And hopefully that will move you further and further in understanding and grasping his word. But Colossians 2, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. And by the way, that's exactly what many of us have done. And this may irritate your ears a little bit, but the good news is I'm okay with that. But this is what's happening right now is some of us have been taken captive by human philosophy, by empty deceit. And we've bought in to this idea. We've bought in to this notion that we actually do. We're always the most important. You know how arrogant it is to know that there are billions of people on this planet, and yet you think you matter more than everybody? Who matters more than everybody is Jesus. And he says, I love you so much, I'll give you my life. And we've bought in to this human philosophy and empty deceit. And it doesn't lead anywhere but a rabbit trail. And you just keep chasing and chasing and chasing. So see see to it that no one takes you captive by, by that philosophy, by empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. And some of us have bought into human traditions. This is what we do, even religiously. This is what we do. You can't find it in scripture maybe, but you know what you do. And you think it will be dishonoring to anybody before you if you break it. And God's going, well, how about me? Because you're not seeing the fullness that I have for you. And you're calling out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But you don't get it. You're not getting it. The irony about Solomon's coronation of entering in the same place where now Jesus is entering in. So many 
centuries later, the, part of the irony is there's a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is all about Solomon's life. And 38, check this out, 38 different times it speaks about Solomon's life. And here's the king, by the way. Let me, let me say this. This guy could do anything he wanted and get anything he wanted. He had every resource at his disposal, everything. And 38 different times in the book of Ecclesiastes, it speaks of him having an empty life. Like when you see, when someone says something 38 times, it's called there's a theme running through it. Right? I can say something twice to my wife and she's like, I get it. I'm like, okay, 38 times. It speaks about this empty life that is there. This vapor, it means, this breath that is just vanishing before us. Without Jesus, there's empty life. But Jesus promises a full life. Another passage for you to write down, Ephesians 3.19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled, that you may be filled with the fullness of God, Ephesians 3.19, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And that's what Christ desires, is that you start to understand more, more of what it means to be full of Jesus Christ, to open your eyes. Ephesians 4.13 says the following. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Listen to that again. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 4.13. And he, he's wanting you to sit and try to process and to try to comprehend what a full life in him really looks like. What life are you choosing? And that's a big question. What life are you choosing? This is the best way I know how to describe it. I, um, I'm, I've got a couple boxes that are going to be brought out. Um, this, uh, this morning, and I say this morning, like 12, 15 a.m., I'm processing stuff, and I'm thinking about things, and I'm like, I need two boxes. Um, and so this morning, I went dumpster diving at 7 a.m. this morning here at Chapel Point. Thank you, gentlemen. appreciate it. Went dumpster diving, and uh, these were all broken down, so I put them back together with some type of tape. Um, I'd like to ask my assistants in the office right now to buy more tape because I used all of it. Um, so I put these back together, had a friend of mine uh, go ahead and write some words on here, empty and full. Every single one of us is walking through life, and in what we do, we're making and we're deciding, we're having decisions in our life of whether or not we're investing in an empty life or a full life. And I just want to break it down for you very quickly for you to, to process what this would really mean for you. To, and, and this is what I'm hoping that you take away today, that you really go home with a friend or a loved one and you say, hey, um, let's process this whole empty life, full life thing. Every single one of us is making a choice of whether or not we're pouring into an empty life or into a full life. And here's it. I want to give you some descriptions of whether or not you're pouring into an empty life. If you're one of those people who's calling out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, but you don't, you don't actually process who he is. One, an empty life is circumstantial. An empty life is circumstantial. 
It's always dependent upon others is another way to say it. Dependent upon others. An empty life is dependent upon others. It's dependent upon what they're going to think about what you wear, about what you say, or if you're accomplished enough, if you have enough degrees, or if you went to the right school. It's circumstantial. It's, it's determined. It's dependent upon others. And that means as soon as you make it dependent or determined by others and it being circumstantial, it means you can never win. Because that always changes, doesn't it? It always changes. Listen, it, it's the same with what we wear. We know this. In 1987, I looked good in a pair of jams. Do you know what jams? You remember jams? Crazy bright flowers, all herringbone necklace, and a butt cut. Anybody else have that? You're all liars. And I can hear some of you. I wasn't born in 1987. You're a liar too. And those things change, and it's always dependent upon others. And we look at that, and we think about it, and we go, what's going on? Having an empty life is circumstantial. It's dependent upon others. It's focused on self. It's focused on the temporary. Guys, we're, we're but a vapor. We're but a vapor. Here's the reality. No matter what I do for the Lord, soon after I die, I will not be remembered. But my God will be. It's an empty life that we're pouring into. It's based on the temporary, achieving the temporary. And often the people who are living a hidden li- uh, an empty life, they have a hidden life. They're keeping it from others. They're the ones who are least willing to be vulnerable, least willing to share. They don't want anything to threaten the seat that they already sit in. But then you have a full life. A full life is known regardless of circumstances. A full life is something to be had. It doesn't matter how your Monday is, how your Tuesday is, Wednesday is, Thursday is. It doesn't matter how your week is going. Um, some of you may be going, you don't understand. 2019 has been a dandy. Anybody? It doesn't matter because there's a full life in Jesus Christ. It's not based on circumstances. It's based on truth, which never changes. A full life is set apart by God. A full life is one that is chasing Christ, wanting to know more of him and wanting to to move around. You know, you're in the crowd, and if you're one of the few who actually got what they were calling out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, you're wanting to get as close to him as possible because you're wanting to have a better view. And some of us need to recognize Jesus is wanting you to move because he's wanting you to have a greater view of him. Why are you scared? Move seats. See him better. See him closer. That's the fullness that he wants. Full life is purpose that's found in the eternal and not the temporary. And we see that in the relationships that we have and the types of relationships and even the conversations that you're willing to have with other people, right? Some of you just want to have the shallow, temporary conversation because you can't offend, can't hurt. Maybe you don't have the courage yet, but guys, you're so many of you I know, you're doing amazing jobs in telling others about Jesus. Keep doing it because that's a full life. 
A full life is reflecting Jesus Christ, his purpose found in the eternal. It's knowing where your time and your energies, the gifts, you all have gifts that God has blessed you with. And so it's how you utilize those gifts. And it doesn't mean that you can't use those sometimes for temporary. We all have homes, right? That's temporary. They're all going to rot and rust and go away. Even if you don't have your own home, you're renting an apartment or something like that, right? Does it mean that that's worthless? No, you need somewhere to lay your head. If you're not paying rent at all, I would like to know because I would like to move in with you. Six of us, that's all. But as a whole, you look at it and go, where are we investing our energy and our time and our resources? What are we doing with it? Is it toward an empty life or is it toward a full life? What are you investing in? And the irony of the empty life, here's, here's an analogy, a metaphor for you, is the irony of the empty life is it's a lot heavier. And some of us are only seeing a partial view of Jesus. And I'm asking you not to be okay with that. Guys, what? I know we're about, to, we're about to worship some more and to celebrate who God is, but I'm asking for you to get, get rid of the empty life. Recognize if that is actually more symbolic, more representative of you than having a full life in Jesus. And that's why we're church together, because we get to do that with each other. We get to say, you know what? We need to, we need to be sharp, and we need a bigger view of Jesus. And because some of you think that he's just a fixer, he's just a consultant, you actually think that he fixed something wrong. Trust me, God doesn't get it wrong. And if you think that, no, you don't understand, he really did get it wrong. My way is the right way. How arrogant to think that you are correct over the creator of the universe. And friends, I, I get the fact that what I'm saying right now, some of you are truly probably wrestling with internally. You're going, I, man, this guy, I tell you, but just try, please. My prayer waking up this morning is that you would consider the possibility that Jesus has a greater life in store for you. Just consider it. That as much as even you may think that you're being used right now, that God has greater plans for you. Jesus was sobbing because people failed to recognize him fully. Do you fully recognize him? God, I come before you. I call out to you. I worship you. I praise you. I'm asking that you give the courage to these friends to truly evaluate, to digest whether or not they have a full view of who you are. And all of your splendor and all of your wonder and all of your majesty. 
May they have the courage to see you, even if it means that they need to change seats, that they need to get up because something is in their way. Something is in their life right now that's hindering their view of who you are. God, may they have the courage to get up and change seats. May they see the fullness of who you are. May it drip upon them. May it overwhelm them. May they know the fullness, even if they're living in pain and hurt and agony right now. May they know the freedom and the joy and the comfort that is found in you. God, we worship you. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand with us as we continue to worship him? and recognize the fullness of life that is found in Jesus.